0: Hey everybody! Welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 152, Books for the Ages. In June, the Washington Post published an article entitled Books for the Ages. It was a list of book recommendations based on how old you are, going from year 1 to 100. So for today's episode, each of your hosts have read the book recommended for their year, which, since each of us is a different age, means... We've read three different books, so we'll talk about our selections and the concept of age in general when it comes to reading. Is it better to read the right book at the right time, or is a good book a good book, no matter how old you are? This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We are Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me as always are novelist and critic, Todd Goldberg, and essayist and radio personality,
1: Julia Pistel. Hi, guys. Hi. And we're in unusual places today. Well, Ryder is. Yeah, I am. (laughs) Ryder is in a different state. He didn't realize he is like 20 minutes from Julia's home. If it
2: was 20 minutes, I could have driven over there while we were setting up. (laughs)
0: this is but this is the problem with the west coast east coast divide right like i think from from a west coast perspective you hear boston and you're like oh well that's that's got to be so far from other cities like hartford (laughs) or new york or but of course the reality is everything's so smushed together you know in california it's like todd and i are two hours away from each other we're both considered like the same town, essentially. Right. <laughs> uh, but over here, you can have completely different territories. So, yeah, I, I'm sorry, Julia. We should have we should have made a plan to get together.
2: That's okay. That just means you'll come back.
1: That's yeah. right. So, writers in Boston. What are you doing out there? Uh, one of these,
0: yeah, fan expo convention. So, meeting fans, signing autographs. Hopefully, some literary disco fans will will come up to me and tell me how much they love
1: Julia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Here's something.
1: It never never gets old hearing the fan love for Julia. No one ever comes up to me and is like, Todd, I really appreciate whatever it is you do. Todd, we need to hear more from you. You need to talk up more.
0: (laughs) Don't let Julia interrupt you so much.
1: If, you know, when when I get mail about literary disco, it's never like all three of you are such wonderful advocates for the written word. It's like, hey, fat ass, let Julia talk.
2: (laughs) Oh, uh, well, you know, I have that mystique of not being famous. You guys are exposed and out there for everyone to see. So if right. people got yes. to know Aww. me, they would quickly, quickly tar- change voice. their tune. <laughs> I, uh,
1: I've been going through a closet in my house. This is the exciting summer of Todd. I've been going through a closet in my house because I, I have a book due in, in a month. So, I'm
2: (laughs) you need to be cleaning at all times. So, I need to do
1: other stuff instead of that. And I found some photos of us when we were in grad school. And in my mind, the three of us have not aged. I regret to inform you.
2: We've aged. Oh,
1: well, see, that's perfect. Because,
0: like, my book, especially that I read for today's episode, is all about that. Like, all about the difference between 10 years ago and today. Oh, man. Yeah, it really put. It put me in a weird
1: mindset. I've been I've been feeling super old.
0: Well super
1: old. And so also like my weight has fluctuated wildly over the course of the last mm-hmm. twelve years. And I was like, am I as fat now as I was in that photo? And then there was the five years where I really felt great about my body when I had a metabolism. I wonder how I can get back to that. <laughs>
2: I try not to think about that. I just remember when we
0: were in grad school, I lost my vegetarianism in the course of our... So I just remember you giving me so much shit about, A, being a vegetarian first. You gave me shit about that. And then when I started eating meat, you gave me so much shit about that. (laughs) And then then I remember it was like right about the end of grad school that you you, you were like, uh, so I went to my doctor and uh, I I realized I can't just eat whatever I want in my life. And I was like, "Right,
2: okay, welcome to the club, buddy."
1: And I haven't had red meat since then. In fact, that's right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Meanwhile, (laughs) I remember distinctly Ryder eating pasta with bison in it and being like, "Yes."
1: That was that was the that was like the month that Ryder stopped uh, being a vegetarian, (laughs) and he didn't just like listeners, He didn't just be like, "Oh, I'm gonna have a cheeseburger." It's like, do you have wild boar?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I went. I went, yeah, full, I was practically like paleo. It was all like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to eat meat because I can now and it's good for me. <laughs> Protein. I just remember I was like, "Let's go get snacks." And I came back with beef jerky. Yeah. And you were like, "What are you doing?" Yeah. I'm like, "I think beef jerky is healthier than the
1: two bags of chips you just bought, Todd." <laughs> yeah. Okay. Look, there's a lot of healthy stuff in orange number 5.
0: <laughs> oh, um, memories. Man. So, should we dive into these books? Yes. Um, so let's see. We're going to very boldly admit our ages for this episode. Yes. Yes. So, uh, Julia, do you want to say how old you were and what the Washington Post recommended you read?
2: Sure. I'm 36, recently 36. Happy and birthday. Thank you so much. And the Washington Post told me to read Shirley Jackson's Life Among the Savages. Oh. Um, how about wow. you guys? Yeah, I can't uh, wait to tell you about it.
0: So I am 39, and the Washington Post told me I should read Leanne Moriarty's What Alice Forgot. Mm. Uh, which I can't wait to talk about. Either of you guys read it? No, I've never even heard no, of
2: it. No, I did okay. when I oh. saw your the list like open and read the preview on Kindle and it looked interesting. Well she wrote
0: Big Little Lies. Did you
2: guys read, oh, read that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I have seen okay. the show.
0: I saw the first season of the show, but I haven't um I never read it. So
1: I saw the first season of the show and then I read all the gossip about the second season of the show. Awesome.
2: Oh, nice. All right. How yeah. old are you, so, Todd? Twenty-five?
1: I am I am forty-eight years old. Mm what, that, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's fucked up you guys say your age and everyone's like yeah oh yeah that's a great age to be i say i'm 48 years old you guys are like fuck man get to the dude a catheter well uh- i was surprised because you never responded when i sent
0: out the email saying we should do this episode and so Julie and i were and i was like i actually don't know how old todd is yeah. I, I think of him as a complete contemporary uh,
1: well it's because we are um uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> damn it uh so i'm 48 years old and i uh was told to read bossy pants by tina Fey.
2: interesting and i did pick for that age
1: <laughs> um it, i'm not really sure it's a book but we'll get to
0: that point <laughs> Yeah, this, I mean, so this Washington Post list was really interesting. I mean, obviously, if when you're talking about year one and two, and right. and I, I think I probably stumbled upon this while I was Googling what books to get my four-year-old, you know, because I, I do that like every couple of weeks to find out new books to read to him at night. When you're talking about those like early books, it all kind of makes sense. But then when it gets up there, it's like self-help books. Right. I saw one of them for, I think for like 49, it's like stretching. It's like a book. <laughs>
1: hey, you know what? <laughs> Frankly, totally <Sounds> needed. Good. <laughs> I did a thing to my neck last week. I don't know what it was. And Wendy was like, because Wendy does yoga. She's like, all right, here's a yoga move. And so she tried to teach me this thing that would release the muscle in my neck. And she had me laying on my side. And then I had to do something with my arm where it went one way. And then I had to move my other arm. And like my arms don't move the way they need to move to do the yoga move. And I was like, I think I I got a Charlie horse in my other side of my neck. doing that so I totally you
0: you are 48
2: yeah
1: you're (laughs) a savant you're
2: acting like you're 49 and need the stretching
1: book well the interesting (laughs) thing though is if you go through it and look back at the books they suggest for different ages like a lot of the books came out after the age that I was after the age where I could have read them um like they recommend for instance Perks of Being a Wallflower for age 14 and that book came out when I was you know 29 or something Um, But then there's some books that I ended up reading like right at the time you're supposed to like I read The Handmaid's Tale when I was 19. I read uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X when I was 23. Mm -hmm. I read Atlas Shrugged. When I was younger, thank God. If I'd read it at 24, I might have been Paul Ryan. Yeah,
0: but- that's a weird uh, Yeah, that's a weird one. The, the recommendation for age 24 is Atlas Shrugged, and it says, Marvel at the profundity of its objectivist themes. Then in a few years, marvel at your naivete, which right. is uh, pretty cool. <laughs> I've actually bad. never read Atlas Shrug, but that sounds about right to me.
1: Now, yeah. age 30, it says, read The Joy of Sex. And unfortunately, I read that when I was about nine, because my <laughs> mom had it. And so I pulled it off the shelf, and- I don't know if you guys ever had the awful experience of pulling out The Joy of Sex from your mom's uh, bookshelf and seeing the bookmarked pages with the drawings of people doing reverse cowboy with a fourth person. And you're like, what oh, the geez. fuck is this? <laughs> Jesus, mom.
2: <laughs> Can't say I have.
1: <laughs> well, a little something for a little Vega and a little Indie to experience. Oh, God. Very good. Um,
0: what's going to happen is Indy's going to pull my copy of The Girl Next Door.
1: Oh, God, you didn't get rid of that?
0: I I got rid of that shit. That shit does not live in my (laughs) house. I
1: agree.
0: That's the most disturbing book ever. No, I want to keep it because I really, you know, I thought it was really good. And I'll probably reread it someday. But Jesus, yeah. No, (laughs) I'll keep it safe in my house. (laughs)
1: Um, So there's lots of interesting picks, but I'm I'm interested to see if these books that you guys and I read are actually what we're supposed to read at our age. I I feel like bossy pants. Well, I'll give my opinion. Why don't
0: we go uh, in order? Julia, you want to go first?
2: Sure. So I was, I had never heard of this book. So once again, Shirley Jackson's Life Among the Savages. If you're like... Shirley Jackson. That sounds familiar, but remind me who that is, which was the experience of me telling everyone about this book. Um, She wrote The Lottery, um, the short story that everyone read in eighth grade. And she also wrote um, The Haunting of Hill House, which, you know, spectacular Netflix special.
1: Neither of you have read We Have Always Lived in the Castle? No. No. Oh man, that's a good book. Really good book. And then I turned it into a movie that just came out. um, I want to say I'm Two months ago. Okay,
0: but she's known for sort of horror, horror. fairy tale reinvention, yeah. horror, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay.
2: just absolute like gruesome, terrifying horror. So this book was an absolute fucking delight. Okay, so <laughs> I I went deep on the internet on this. Um, so Shirley Jackson was she was living in. Vermont. Her husband was a professor at Bennington. He was like a super popular professor, just like a writer about town. And, but she was the major breadwinner of the house, largely due to these women's pieces that she would write for women's magazines about being a mother and a wife and, you know, these like cute 50s housewife articles.
1: Red Book Magazine type things.
2: Right. So this book, and there's another one called Raising Demons, is about that. They, they are those pieces. They, it's a collection of those pieces. And the best way that I can describe it is it's like the haunting of Hill House, but it's not scary. Like, it has all of the <laughs> strengths. Um, uh, but it's so detailed and it's so funny. Um, And let me just see if I can find like a really good uh quote well, I'll I'll get back to that in a minute, but this was, it was a fascinating read because I resisted this list, um, this age list, and I especially resisted that, like, the chunk in the mid to late 30s were all about parenting, um, and I was like, uh-huh. well, that's so reductive, and then I read this, and I was like, yes, like, I want to read about moms, I want to read about these kids, I want to find this, like, intelligent humor in this, so... Like, this absolutely did its job for me. I was so fucking into it. Um, (laughs) And it was amazing to see. Oh, okay. Here we go. Um, All right. Awesome. So there's this one where she takes her three children to a department store. And it's the whole long essay is about, like, what a pain in the ass Um, It is to take kids to a department store, which is, you know, like you can read 50 mommy blogs about it, but she's the best at it. So uh, here we go. We sailed off in fine style as far as the front door, where Jannie flatly declined to move further unless allowed to take along her doll carriage and doll. There was a violent argument. I took the always <laughs> losing position of either the doll stays home or you do. And Lori swung <laughs> on the knob of the front door saying, come on, let's go. We got the doll carriage into a bus, finally, and all the way into town, Jannie bent over it, crooning to her doll about how no one was going to leave Sweet Dolly at home while Jannie had anything to say about it. Lori shot people from the bus window with his pearl-handled revolvers. I made (laughs) rapid and inaccurate mental calculations about the probable price of lunch and the cost of transporting the doll carriage in taxis. Fortunately, my shopping list was simple. J, shoes, L, pants, and if I did happen to be anywhere near a, near a suit department, I might take a look at dark suits, the simple kind they don't seem to make anymore. And her daughter, by the way, as I read a couple more lines, um, has about 15 imaginary friends. Move <laughs> totally over. Yeah, move over, jo- Janie said to me. You're sitting on Linda. <laughs> Linda's not coming, I said incredulously. Certainly she's coming, Janie said, and you're sitting on her. You and your old girls, Laurie said, drawing in his head and pointing his gun. Boom. There, I shot her.
1: Oh, God. So
2: it's like a 30-page essay about dragging these kids around. And they're so funny and they're so smart. And when these came together as a collection, people reacted like, I can't believe Shirley Jackson is, you know, can write this way. But I think what was so resonant for me is the idea that this mom is code switching like this is her day day job and her night job right. is you know slitting throats in the night via her writing um <laughs> which todd i know you get but i think any parent right. really understands that you have to be in that parent mode and then you have to come out of it so my my book was great i want everyone to read this book it's fantastic did you
1: get did did, did you feel like you and shirley jackson could be friends like if if she lived in your town and wasn't dead
2: um
1: you could be bff If she wasn't
2: I don't think about writers that way. And I think one (laughs) thing that Shirley Jackson and I have in common is that we're bad at having mom friends. (laughs) So we're similar, but we wouldn't be friends. Because it's it's too all absorbing to take care of multiple children.
1: And so do you think this though if you had if you'd read this book ten years ago, it wouldn't have had the same effect on you because you wouldn't have had Vega.
2: I think I would have loved the writing style, but I don't think it would have had an emotional impact. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I'll feel about it 20 years from now either. It's just existing <laughs> in its own moment in time.
0: Does she talk about writing, like being a writer and being a mother? or A little bit, does- but not
2: really. I mean, the, the pieces are really just about like, managing her house and her Mm. children. I mean, you have to think about where these were published. These were published in women's magazines. So um, the audience was squarely like, what is it like when... Well, one piece that's really fun is structured like a riddle it's like okay so it's like five pages of all the things in their house and the way they're arranged and then they all get sick at the same time and everyone's like moving (laughs) beds all night and at the the like last line of the piece is and they're all switching beds switching pillows switching like glasses of juice and it goes on forever um and then the last line is just like the riddle is what happened to the blue blanket um and it's just it's so much fun so these pieces are fun like you have to imagine Mm. them being printed in a magazine in the 50s um so i don't know it was just a nice experience to read to know that she was intellectual this this is what was great about it for me as a mom currently right now like i know from her body of work that she's intellectual genius brilliant genius but that it was wonderful to read that she had this other side, this like all-consuming motherhood side that right. she sort of did devote life stuff. love yeah, and like right. care to, while at the same time being, you know, a transformative American writer. So yes, that was very validating Oof, emotionally. Awesome. You know? Well, and
1: you know, it, isn't it sort yeah. of an unusual thing? Like we we sort of expect like okay, Stephen King writes horror or mystery or whatever. But, you know, he also does write, like, frivolous, well, not frivolous, but, like, essays and and, um, book reviews. And, you know, he has a a Twitter presence that is Mm -hmm. contrary to all the things that he writes about. And, you know, maybe this, like, this idea that writers only do this one thing. Of course, Shirley Jackson could do anything. Yeah. You know, like, she she could write anything she wanted to write and she chose to write, you know, what she wrote. But to have that sort of entrance into her life at that point. Is sort of what we get on a day to day basis now because of social media with most yeah. of our writers. Like, you know, if you're a fan of mine or something, like, you know, what I had for breakfast and whether or not <laughs> it upset is- my stomach. How you feel <laughs>
0: about the page- a Patriot on yeah. Amazon. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, whatever my thoughts are at any given time, like, I'm going to tell the world in case. Yeah. You know, here's what I'm listening to, but that wasn't readily available, obviously in 1956 or whatever. So the, it is sort of a neat entry into how these authors and writers um, express that other side of themselves. But right. then, the, like the flip side is like, do you want to know that about the haunting Hill House person? That she's just a normal <laughs> human being, right?
0: Yeah. Well, here's what you know. Here's what I, I keep thinking about because the, the, this this struck me with my book too. It's like this whole concept of reading things you know, at a certain age, or when you're old enough to appreciate them, which I feel like is the underlying message here is so funny to me, because I think I always because I was a precocious reader, you know, reading Stephen King at 10. And, and, and and I, I felt like by the age of 10 on, I was like, Nope, I only read grown up books. And but what that meant to me was like things that were scary, or things that were violent, or things that were like, you know, about adult like conflicts, but not like Raising kids. Right. Not like being yeah. a mom. You know, that kind of stuff I I've never appreciated until right about now like just recently and that like that's something that was cuz you know my book is is very similar it's very domestic it's very like just be a mom and 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 I suddenly found myself relating to all of these things that I know even 5 years ago I never would have I guess the notion of age appropriateness has completely shifted in my brain right. based on this experience I'm like oh right like there are certain books that And we kind of talked about this when we reread Great Gatsby and a couple other books that we've reread where it's like they kind of they're just a lot better when you're older and you Mm. know what the hell they're talking about. So that's that's really cool. Well,
2: and I want to hear about your book in a second, but I do want to piggyback on this as we end talking about Shirley Jackson, which is I I don't know if I've mentioned this recently, but I actually think that I cannot watch horror anymore. And I'm wondering Mm. if it's permanent because I Mm have realized since having a baby that almost all horror movies are about motherhood and it has (laughs) fucked me up like i can't there's no like divide between me and like the child being harmed or whatever Mm -hmm. i mean i watched hereditary which was probably the worst possible why
1: did you watch that (laughs) i didn't know what it was about
2: (laughs) Uh, but um it's it's that been was a, a really weird,
1: fucked up movie, man. Yeah. yeah. And that it's, was a deeply fucked up movie. But
2: yeah, it's been a really weird experience to think, like, you know, that it is so altering to the way that you perceive art to have a kid that, like, you can't even, like, Stand pain of an imaginary character. So the fact yeah. that I, right. I don't, watched I, Haunting of Hill House and was very upset and disturbed, and then I got this alternate version that's like happy and nice, I was like, "The well, i yeah, Hill House, I'm all in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, The no, Baking I think
1: of it, Hill House. I think
0: horror is definitely a young person's genre, uh, as a, you know, like, and, and I think it's primarily aimed at fifteen to thirty year olds. You know, like yeah. that's when horror matters, and I feel like a lot of that is because. You haven't been exposed to the world that much, and and you want to read about things that sort of push push you and scare you, and and then <laughs> by the time you're close to forty or forty, you don't want to read that shit anymore. <laughs> like you've you've experienced you know deaths, divorces, right. uh, real life stuff around but, you. I parents don't know, man. getting old, like and it's like real horror takes over. <laughs> yeah. But I think I think, like, I I think
1: for some people, they view horror um, as the escape from the horror of their life. Right. Uh, you know, when, um, like, I know a, a fair number of horror writers, and the fandom for horror writers does not seem to be 15-year-olds. The fandom for horror writers seems to be 45-year-old white dudes, <laughs> you <laughs> right. know?
0: I guess I was thinking That's more movies, thing. actually. Mm. Um, yeah, for yeah, horror I movies,
1: mean, I, I target agree.
0: audience for horror movies is still teenagers, right. but I, 20s, I you know? ag-
2: agree with you, Ryder. Because now I've known people who have died in accidents where they have fallen off something, or I know mm-hmm. people who have committed suicide, and like those things as plot devices. You know, yeah. it. Now I'm just like, no. No, so so yeah that's that's uh, my shirley jackson experience uh
1: speaking of horror and suicide for just one moment can i just say one thing (laughs) i am so bummed out by the suicide of uh david berman i don't know if we've ever talked about his poetry on the show before Mm -hmm. um he's the lead singer of the silver jews and a fantastic poem uh poet you wrote the book actual air that came out in 1999 and uh, he killed himself just to, by the time the airs, will be a, a couple weeks. But he was lead singer of the Silver Jews. And um, they were one of my favorite bands when I was a younger, uh, more impressionable man. And he just put out this new album called Purple Mountains. But it's this weird thing where all of a sudden, these people that I sort of view as my contemporaries artistically, like are dying or they kill themselves or something. And it affects me as though I know that person personally. Yeah. Um, And that is different than I felt like when heroes of mine died when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, like David Berman killed himself. And I was like, this is horrifying because I can imagine myself him, not because yeah. I want to be him. You know what I mean? Um, But anyway, for listeners, if you've only ever uh, heard of David Berman subsequent to suicide or have heard of the Silver Jews. Go pick up his book of poetry, Actual Air. Uh, it came out in 1999. It was reissued uh, a couple years ago. It is actually one of the best-selling books of poetry of the uh, 21st century in America. I'm sold like totally 40, gonna get it. I've never sold like forty thousand copies. Yeah, that's
2: so cool.
1: Yeah, he's a great poet. Fantastic. Uh, so,
2: Ryder, let's hear about your book. Yeah, so
0: this book is, God, it's so good. I really, I had low expectations, I guess, um, (laughs) which is mostly because I have low expectations about any amnesia story.
1: Yeah. Uh, I I, just, I I think we talked about this a little bit.
0: (laughs) Yeah. We talked about this probably when we read that, when Mallory um, uh, Omira Omira was on, yeah, when she was on our show and she had us read that not so great crime book that had amnesia in it. I probably brought this up then, but like, I remember, you know, I, for a long time, I wanted to write something that had to do with amnesia. And and then I, I ran across a quote from somebody, I forget who it was, but some great writer or somebody on writing. They were like, you know, people want to write about amnesia. Writers want to write about amnesia because it reflects exactly what the writer is going through where they like have an idea, but they don't know what the story is, so they have to sort of make up, you know, and it just becomes a trick, an easy way to like not know where your plot's going and write yourself out of it. Right. And I, I think that's often the case, especially in, in like crime genre stuff with amnesia. Uh yeah. no offense, Todd. But <laughs> No, you're you're totally <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it becomes a way to, to be an unreliable narrator effectively. You know That's correct. Uh, and this so so I was worried that this book would be that and um, it's not. So what Alice forgot um, is about a woman who it opens with her waking up after she's hit her head during a soul cycle class, like one of these spinning <laughs> classes,
1: and
2: which we now know are evil. So right. She, oh, right, right.
0: No, sorry, I don't think it was necessarily soul cycle because this is in Australia uh, and this is ten years ago. Right. But so she wakes up in a in a spinning class and she's on the floor and she thinks it's 1998. And that she is 28 years old. Oh. When, and that she thinks she's pregnant. I when should in read reality, this book. I was 28 re- years old
1: in 1998. This sounds great. Oh, okay. <laughs> exactly.
0: So in reality, it's 2008. She is 38 years old and she now has three children. And she is going through a divorce. And all of this is revealed, you know, I mean, I'm spoiling the first 20, 30 pages, but that's the first 20, 30 pages is just, and you're sort of with her in her head. Yeah, Uh, It's not actually not first person, which is really uh, refreshing. Um, It's, it's third person, but, and then they also have, there's also letters. She she manages to work in other points of view. She has her sister's point of view and her mother's point of view inserted um, cleverly into the story too. But really it just, it's, it's a remarkable book. It's not like it's not like amazing prose. It's very breezy, it's a very quick read, but her characterization is perfect. Her uh her dialogue is wonderful. Uh but really it's just this crazy uh what it, what it becomes. I mean, you know, it's not an amnesia book. It's it's more a time travel book. It's more like Peggy it's more married Exactly. It's more like, it's more, um, it's more Scrooge. It's more Christmas Carol. It's more, uh, if if anybody's ever seen the movie, a family man with Nick Cage, Mm, it's more, yeah, it's, it's more like being 38 and realizing how much your life has changed. Like do you have the same friends at 38 that you do at 28? Mm -hmm. Do you feel the same way about your husband at 38 that you did at 28? Um, and if you don't know your children, what is it like to see them with fresh eyes at thirty-eight, and 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 be able to interact with them in a new way? Like, and 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 is that a positive thing for certain aspects of your life, or is that a negative thing? It is incredible. It's like mm. basically a, an opportunity for this character of Alice and you as the reader to question the the status of your life and how things have changed and why they've changed. Like, why you know, uh, why does your you know your husband have this? Uh, this new tone of voice when he talks to you. Mm. And like, she's able to capture the, the, the difference, even though, you know, as a reader, you have no way of knowing like, wh- but she manages to describe these differences so effectively that you're, you're really emotionally invested. And is it, is you, it funny? It's very funny. Okay. Um, it, it's, it's like I said, it's very breezy. It's very first world. You know what I mean? Mm. Like she's, she's wealthy. Like money's never a problem. It's very suburban Australia, but it's good. Like it's, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking, and there's no easy solution to this this problem. It's not, you know, and and he, she's also very good at writing what I imagine, you know, from what I know about memory. You know, there there is this this thing. There's like the different types of memory. There's episodic memory, and then there's procedural memory. Right, and you know, episodic memory is like you actually remember everything in order or how, but procedural memory, it can be like your body knows how to drive. Even if you have brain damage, you don't know that you know how to drive. The second you get into a car, your body will figure it out. So uh, Leanne um, Moriarty really uses that to her advantage. So So Alice is able to sort of, function in her life and like you know she goes to her daughter's hockey game and she's like or not in ho- a netball game and she doesn't even know how to play netball but they're like you're umpiring and they give her the whistle and she realizes she does know how to, to umpire mm. the game and so there's all these instances where pre- procedural memory is coming back and it's kind of like her body is betraying her but then there's just really insightful sort of life changes that occur between 28 and 38 you know like she has lost a bunch of weight and she's a big fitness person now and she doesn't understand that she's like so happy to be thinner Uh, But she thinks that she's kind of cheesy and why is she obsessed with exercise all the time? And uh, she's more organized in her life. She has better clothes and better makeup than she did (laughs) at 28, but she doesn't have as good a close of friendships. She doesn't feel, you know, she keeps calling all her old friends and they've lost touch or they haven't talked for five, you know, for five years. And they're like, not the same people she, and it just reading the book makes you realize how, I feel like a lot of stories, a lot of books, a lot of movies. You know, focus on coming of age, you know, up until you're in your 20s or they focus on on those formative years where you sort of become an adult. And this is like the next step, which is like when you when you become a real grown up, like between 28 and 38 is like this strange time of uh, people, you know. I feel like up until you're in your mid thirties, everybody you know is getting married mm-hmm. and having kids, and it's all like good news. And then it's all kind of downhill from there. You know, it's <laughs> well, like everybody's getting divorced. Or...
1: <laughs> I'm in a very stable marriage. We're not I know, getting I'm divorced. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but as far
0: as as far as your. Uh, you know, just your day-to-day experience, right. it's its a different thing. And I don't feel yeah. like I've read that many books that explore that period effectively. And well, so, man, I this think, book hit me at the exact right time. I yeah.
1: think you read it a lot, in, but it's from a male point of view. You know, yeah. it's a lot yeah. Of, yeah. of 35-year-old men wondering where they fit into the world. And in fact, in the Washington Post um, list, the book to read right before What Alice Forgot is The Sports Writer. By Richard Ford, which is about a guy who's 38 years old, entering the middle period of his life and struck with, you know, unbreakable ennui about where right. he is. And, you know, his kids just died and wow. his short story collection failed. Like, it's just like literal first world problems.
0: Right. And then sort of midlife crisis.
1: Exactly. Right. So you see that a ton in um, in books about middle aged white dudes.
0: That's true. Actually, I didn't yeah. think about that. Um Yeah, this book is, I mean, I haven't read The Sports Writer, uh, but this book is really, it felt very fresh. Mm -hmm. It felt, um, even though it's 10 years old, which is also funny, like she, she doesn't do too much of the like, cultural shifts but it is there like if you don't remember anything since 1998 you don't know what a text message is right. you still wonder if Hillary and and Bill Clinton survived the you know the the cheating it's so there's a couple of those <laughs> cultural mo- but she doesn't do too much of that which I'm glad when it started to you know when I, when it's when those started creeping in I was like oh god is this just going to become you know back to the future right. like you know look look at this reference from 2006 that Alice doesn't remember it. like no like she pushes all that it's all very personal it's all about that emotional basically, like, you know, even the way Alice talks to everybody around her, they're surprised by how young she sounds mm-hmm. and how how positive and optimistic she is. Yeah. And so Alice has to confront the fact that 38-year-old her is beaten down by life in so many ways. And um, you know, in in, in her relationship with her husband, it's and her kids, they've all fallen into these patterns of communication that have just They're just patterns, you know, for better or worse, they're the way that people talk and the way you build 10 years of history with somebody. And when that vanishes and you're able to look at, you know, in in this case, she looks at her, her, her 10 year old daughter, and she's able to say, Oh my God, you're so good at this thing. And her daughter hasn't heard her mom say that to her for years, you know, because they've just gotten into patterns. So, so yeah, it becomes this like Christmas Carol ghosts of futures past moments that are really beautiful. And, um, I was t- I was totally affected and I, I I I really recommend it for anybody anybody over 30 out there. If if you're not over 30 listening maybe wait, but uh <laughs> I really loved this book. I I'm totally on board and um you know she's not like a a gene, like I said like the prose is not like anything special, she but man, she organizes the plot perfectly um and the characters are totally three-dimensional. Uh so yeah, I I really I, I'm gonna have to read more of her stuff. I, I guess I sort of I don't know I, because of Big Little Lies. I was like, oh, it'll be kind of soapy and like Big yeah, Little Lies it's not was, the,
1: the first season of Big Little Lies was fucking great. I loved yeah. it. I haven't watched the second season though,
0: but so. I imagine the book is probably even better than the series. Now that I've yeah. read her her writing, I'm like, oh, she she knows characters and mm. she knows you know the the these women are very three-dimensional, and um, yeah, it is very women-centric, like, it's mostly about, you know, her and her friends, and and her daughters, and, but man, it's it's really good.
2: So how do you, on that note, I'm curious, like, I feel like she's marketed as, like, a woman's writer, chick lit, like, yeah. Yeah. do you feel on any level like you may have been missing out on because there's a lot of amazing, <laughs> yeah. amazing literature written by women that's just marketed, you know, in this like Mm -hmm. chicky area. And all it takes for me is like a font and a cover. And I'm just like, eh, no, which is horrible. And I've changed. I've changed. But like, that is like amazing to hear that you didn't even realize that maybe you hadn't read a story like this before. And you loved it.
0: No, I loved it. And yeah, you're right. Like, I, I mean, the way that this book looks, you know, I can show you guys the cover. It's very like, uh, romantic comedy whimsical, right. you know, yeah. like it's this sort of, and it's, I guess to a certain extent it is, but on, an, on the other hand, I don't know why this isn't taken as seriously as like a and novel or, you know, like it could just as easily be marketed as such. And, um, and it's not, uh, it's, it still has the reader's guide in the back, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. for the book club. It's a very, it's a very much a book club book and that's sort of how it's marketed, which I think, as we've talked about before, book clubs are usually women centric, right? Right. Like the Big Little Lies, obviously, was has been marketed that way. But I I thought this book was great.
1: I got to read it, yeah, because I love Peggy Sue Got Married, which is a little bit different. But I basically I like anything with time travel in it. Me too. I'm just going to be honest. I like anything with time yeah. travel. Yeah. And anything. that's what was so
0: cool about this is that it sneaked up on me. You know, I did right. not expect it to be a time travel book. And then <laughs> I was like, oh, this is, she's just totally a time traveler. She And, and it's also like she's coming to the future, right. but she's also going back to the past for all the other characters. So from the other characters' perspectives, they're having to reevaluate their lives by how Alice is seeing them. Right. And so it's like, it's like, a, it's time travel in both directions. Um, that's really, really, it's that's, really
1: smart. That's complicated narrative work that she had to do to write yes. that. That's, I, yeah. yeah I I can't wait to read that. That sounds awesome.
0: All right, so let's talk Bossy Pants, Todd. (laughs) Yeah,
1: so on the other end of the literary spectrum, uh, we have Bossy Pants by Tina Fey, which I read. Um, What the Washington Post says is, you're juggling a lot. You've earned a good laugh from a celebrity who doesn't pretend to be picture perfect, to which I thought, I already know writer's drama. I don't Aww. need to read this book. So if you're not familiar with Boston Pants, it came out in 2011. It sold like 36 million copies. It was a huge, massive success. It's one of those books by a comic, which in my experience, reading these books is one of two ways. So like, I guess it was two or three years ago. I did a thing um, on a stage where I interviewed uh, three comics, uh, Jen Kirkman um lauren weedman and annabelle Gerwich. and annabelle Gerwich is less of a comic and more of a um comic writer but she also does some stand-up but jen and lauren are actual stand-up comics and all three of their books were memoirs and like they were your traditional this is a thing that happened to me in chapter one this thing that happened to me in chapter two they were essays but they were memoirs and they were thick and they were dense um, and they were funny. Um, Lauren Weedman's was funny, even though terrible things were happening. And then Jen Kirkman's was actually pretty serious. I mean, it was about, like, you know, why she didn't want to get married or have kids. And, you know, the, the role of, the, of a woman in comedy and, and all this other stuff. Um, and touched on a lot of particularly weighty issues. But it was also just funny because she's, she's funny. And then Annabelle Gerwich is sort of the Nora Ephron school of comedy but so there there's like that was sort of in my mind like oh this is going to be like that it's not it's more like this Dennis Leary book I read where it's like (laughs) sketch comedy written in a book (laughs) (laughs) and so like the chapters are extraordinarily short they're like four pages each the book is very short it's 250 pages long and even when she talks about something serious she is talking about it in sort of a sketch comedy kind of way. Mm-hmm, um, right. So she's setting up jokes and you don't really know what's real and what's not real a lot of times. Listeners, if you're just coming back from a trip to the moon, uh, Tina Fey <laughs> <laughs> uh, was the head writer and star on SNL. Uh, she was the creator and head writer of 30 Rock. She is a an actor right. and a comic. And star. Yeah. But she's got a, a scar that runs down the right side of her face that's fairly prominent. You can see it in most pictures of her. And she doesn't really talk about it in interviews or anything. But So in the book, she says, when I was eight years old, behind my school, I was slashed in the face by a stranger. I bring that up, not because I'm now going to have a full Dateline-like episode about this, but just so that you know that I know that you're wondering about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is what I'm going to say. This is the thing that happened. A stranger slashed my face. And then she goes on to say that she sort of received special treatment because of it. Because, you know, people would be nicer to her. Or, you know, people would give her cake. Um, and so it ends up being sort of part of a joke. If if this were like a normal memoir memoir, like, I'd get a, I'd get 300 pages about the search for the slasher sure. or whatever. You right. <laughs> and so I really had to sort of temper my... Um, my expectations when I was reading It's it's very funny. And Tina Fey is a naturally very funny writer. And so I was just sort of reading it as, as kind of entertainment. And then a weird thing kind of happens subsequent to her success. So the first 150 pages or so is basically leading up to her success as a comic. Um, And so like, you know, it's bad dates with gay guys, things like that, (laughs) you know, all all very amusing things and awful, you know, terrible things that happened to her when she was young.
0: Wacky misadventures.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. And then when she gets on staff at SNL and then gets her own TV show, then it becomes sort of a different book. And that's where the bossy pants part comes from, which is like, okay, here I am, a creative person who is achieving my dreams, and now I'm also in charge. And what is that like? And how do I manage people? What do I do? And I was like, oh, my God. This is a thing that I think about all the time. (laughs) Sure, sure. (laughs) So for those of you who don't know, uh, so in addition to writing books and being the star of this podcast, um, (laughs) I also... The star. The The star. star. Uh, Noted. um, I also uh, (laughs) am the director of a... uh, Uh, one of the largest graduate schools in creative writing in the country. And so I've got like 20 people who work for me, faculty who work for me. And then I have all these students that I'm in charge of. And my sort of leadership mantra with creative people has always been, I'm going to hire the best people and then get out of their way. And trust them to do good things and let them solve their own problems. And I'll be there for them when they need the help. But I'm going to let... Great people do great work, and I'm not going to get in the way with it. I'm not going to micromanage anyone. And that's been sort of a successful management philosophy for me for the last, you know, 10 years or whatever. And it's basically exactly what Tina Fey says. She's like, I'm going to hire the the most creative, interesting people, people that I trust and that I like. I'm going to put them in jobs and put them in a position to succeed. And if they need my help, I'm there for them, but I'm not going to micromanage. And I was like, oh, my God, Tina Fey and I, pretty much the same person.
0: (laughs) That's
1: awesome. Um, And then, you know, she goes into the background of creating 30 Rock and um, I'm in the middle of doing something on a TV show right now. And I'm like, oh, wow, like this is sort of very helpful information. And so all of a sudden, this like um, behind the scenes stuff about Hollywood and about writers and about managing writers and creative people began to really resonate with me. Um, And so I was like, how old is Tina Fey? And it turns out Tina Fey is forty eight years old. She is my exact <laughs> age, and therefore Perfect. all these things are happening to her that all the exact times are happening to me. So I actually like as a, as kind of like a management book, it, yeah. but but also as a creativity book. So you know she she talks a lot about the creation of Thirty Rock and how. You know, what her vision had to change for, you know, a variety of different reasons, but also like what it means to create a thing that belongs to you versus working in someone else's universe, you know, mm-hmm. and the weight of that um, and how she essentially uh, is most uh, anxious and scared and worried during moments of success. But moments of failure, she anticipates. So it's not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. Wow. That is strangely accurate.
0: <laughs> you know what's funny about this, Todd, is I feel like I don't know. It, there, there, there is a certain this. Bossy Pants fits a certain type of book that is so popular. Mm-hmm. You know, this like memoir, mm-hmm. self help sort of right. category that I never read, and it doesn't no. sound like you read that much of it no. either. Which is so funny <laughs> because. That puts us at odds with like 90% of the reading public out there. Right. And yet we're big readers. Like we read all the time and it's, it, I've never read these kinds of books. Like, you know, Michelle Obama's book mm-hmm. that came out. Everybody's talking about every, I never read them. I got to so like,
2: jump in here. This is like my yeah. secret. I'm not going to say shame, but some. this is like my <laughs> kind of guilty pleasure. So I've read Bossy yeah. Pants and actually, uh, all right, so. I listen to Bossy Pants on audio. I listen to Mindy Mm -hmm. Kaling's book on audio, and I just happen to be listening to Michelle Obama's book on audio right now. And it is fascinating because, and I've read Amy Schumer's book, like, I whip through these things. This is like a Mm -hmm. three hour read for me. Um, yeah, if they're, I'm they're reading it on paper. Fast. Actually, Amy Schumer's book, I'm just remembering. I like read just in a Barnes and Noble one day drinking coffee. I read the whole thing and I was like, <laughs> okay, and yeah, they um, stole the money from Schumer. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny because I feel like the way to experience them on a certain level is to hear this celebrity reading them because with Tina Fey, you're absolutely right. Like This is sketch or stand-up. And so mm-hmm. she's delivering the end of each paragraph like the end of a joke. And I can't imagine reading that on paper. But with Michelle Obama's book, I, oh, man, I can't wait to talk about this because I've been listening to it for like 20 hours so far. <laughs> it is so amazing to like hear this voice that you know that you've heard a million times and hear her telling you about like her miscarriage or mm-hmm. what it was mm-hmm. like to drop off her daughters at school in an armored car um and oh, it is it's closer to me to like an alternative to watching tv than like right. <laughs> right. sitting down to read a novel so like for example i was listening to Becoming, which is actually really, really good. These should not be in the same category. Becoming is really good, Um, but I was listening to it while like cleaning my house, Um, and I think for people who want to read more and are interested in celebrity culture, or just like curious about what it's like to be a comedian or a celebrity, like give it a shot. Mm -hmm. Like this is a good way to experience
1: this. The Tina Fey book, I know why you liked a lot though is there's a huge (laughs) chapter. Well, not huge. It's like seven pages long about. The philosophy of improv comedy. Yeah. But, and then she also is applying the philosophy of improv comedy to her life. Like, you know, answering the positive always just to see what happens, you know, yes. basically. And. Yeah. Yes,
2: and at life. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's literally discussed in that book and in Amy Poehler's book too. That's why Amy's Poehler book is called Yes, Please. You know, it's an improv reference as well. But it's annoying that. To respond to what you were saying, Todd, like there is such rich thinking and writing to be done about like improv or acting or whatever creative Mm -hmm. form as applied to management or any other aspect of regular life. But it's only if you become a super celebrity that you get to have that as like two chapters of your book, where really like there is room and there should be more nonfiction writing about art forms as life philosophies.
1: Well, And so here's my secret uh, truth, which is that I read books like this one I'm holding up in front of you guys called Quarterback, Inside the Most Important Position in Professional Sports. (laughs) Oh, my God. Where like I will do like I'll read a book just about like playing tackle. Like Michael Lewis has that great book, The Blind Side that became the bad Sandra Bullock movie. But it's about like this the the job of creating this person who protects the most important person in sports, and so I will I will gobble up these sports books about a famous manager or a quarterback or you know whatever and or I'll watch the thirty for thirty documentaries on ESPN or whatever they might be, and I think that's like my that might be the closest I get to a self help book because I read a lot of these like biographies of athletes or you know, these deep dive Michael Lewis type books into, you know, the minutia of, of professional sports.
2: But I think people read these celebrity books to like, I think the drive to read them is a curiosity of what it's like to be a celebrity or uh, in the case of comedy, like how do I get there? How do I trace these people's exact path? You know, like I know dozens, probably hundreds of people who have read Tina Fey's book for that reason. And that's, interesting like i wonder if she feels the weight of this responsibility like i think she and others do feel Mm. like i have to like project the hard work that i did and the humility it took me to get there because other people will comedians are crazy they will try to do exactly what their idols did
1: well the the thing too about (laughs) bossy pants is that it's it's a it's also a, a book about feminism, you know, it's a book yeah. about yeah. feminism in comedy, um, but it's done in such a light way that you don't necessarily know it until it's happening. Uh, but there's a point in the book where um, Amy Poehler has been hired on SNL 2 and uh, Amy Poehler does some joke and um, Jimmy Fallon, well, this is not on film, obviously, they're they're you know backstage or whatever. Jimmy Fallon says, that's not cute. I don't like that. And Amy Poehler says, I don't give a fuck if you like
0: it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. Right. And and then you realize, like, right, like for a thousand years on SNL specifically, there was no breakout female stars forever. No. You know, as the Chevy Chase's, um, it was the uh, Bill Murray's, it was the John Belushi's yeah. and there was Gilda Radner, but she was never a big star. Lorraine Newman, never a big star. Jane Curtin, never a big star. But then that's the wave that came through in the 2000s of the Amy Poehler's and the Tina Fey's, you know, or um, uh, what's her name? Maya Rudolph, um, you know, all of a sudden there's these big stars that have come out of it. And it was this new I don't give a fuck. I don't, I'm not trying to appease the male star of the show. I'm doing my own shit. And I was like, oh, wow, like that is actually empowering um, to mm-hmm. see that. But then the next page is, like, about farting, you know? And so...
2: Well, that's the push and pull is, like... Yeah. And, again, this is my world. So, you know, it is empowering and they're amazing. And I particularly love Amy Poehler. Mm -hmm. But in the comedy world, there is this annoying quality to a lot of this writing her stories where it's, like, you're always in service to your comedy career and you never kind of like drop your bit and you're very loyal to this idea that you have to like pay your dues and you know, you earned it. And this like weird kind of feeling of like, yeah, there's misogynists all around, but you know, you got to fight for it. You got to be like the cool girl. So there's always Mm -hmm. that like push and pull in female comedy memoirs of like, I'm a feminist, but I'm also still funny. Like I'm not going to look too weak. Ever. I can be yeah. one of the guys
0: when I need to. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. And,
1: and interestingly enough, like w- what I mentioned before, like Jen Kirkman and Lauren Weedman and Annabelle Gerwich, like that's a big part of what they're writing about. Yeah. But they're tackling it in a more directly serious way right. where Tina Fey, like you're right. Tina Fey the whole thing is always like it's going to come back to the bit. You're yeah. never going to end a chapter feeling like, oh, I feel sad or, you know, it's always like, OK, and now it's a commercial. You know, I think
0: that's that's entirely calculated. I think yeah. that's her knowing that even though people want to address these subjects, they still want to be entertained by their books. Yeah. You know, oh, and she's sure. just a savvy sure. writer. She's just yeah. she made the I think she made the smartest choice, which is like keep it light, keep it funny, keep the self-help to a minimum, you know, so it's mm-hmm. like sort of seeping through anecdotes. Um, mm-hmm. I think she's really smart. I
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a perfectly enjoyable book um i read it like in three hours i bet the audiobook is fantastic it's probably like driving around with tina fey in your back seat um and you know I, re- I really respect tina fey i think she's really funny i think she's a fantastic writer i think she's a better actor than she's given credit for i think yep. 30 rock was one of the most inventive tv shows in the last 30 years um and she had to work with crazy people. Like she had to work with Alec Baldwin and and uh, Tracy Murray, you know, like those or Tracy Morgan. Those are crazy people, and um and she made it work. So if you just happen to be a fan of Tina Fey, it's a good book. But if you're a creative person, also, and like I, and I know uh, both of you are are into this too. Like I can I can watch any documentary about the creative process. Like if it's about yeah. a painter, or it's about a musician, or it's about a rock star, or it's about if it's about roadies like i will watch anything that's about the creative process because i'm I've, yeah. i'm fascinated by it and also i feel you know empathy towards it um and this is it's a, a lot about the creative process too because it's um you know it, it her the pain of her life does come through like you you're aware of these things and the push and pull she has of being a mother uh, and being um you know a daughter and being a wife and just being a normal person with her own identity always being pulled you know in different places and like having to be done up to look beautiful on the cover of a magazine and all this weird shit when she's still aware of this slash scar on her face like She could be Lucy Greeley, right? Like she could write Autobiography of a Mm -hmm. Face if she wanted to. But her art is something different. And so I really appreciated that from the book. And I thought it was was entertaining, it was interesting. And then like the surprising seven great management theories that I learned (laughs) were managing the the 20 (laughs) lunatic writers that I'm in charge of and the 100 that come to me for advice. Um, So it turns out it was the right book for 48 years old, at least for me. Wow, so this list really kind of nailed us.
2: Yeah. yeah, I thought this list, right. when you sent it out, I was like, this is stupid. And then, are we all wrong?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 we are. I think we're well, all... next year, next year, I'm supposed to read Walden, and Walden is bullshit. Let, let's just be shut clear. that is Enemy not David...
2: true. Walden is amazing. Let's read Walden. Let's go to the mat on no. this one. Let's what?
0: read Walden. I've never read Walden. Oh, Jesus. Uh, he was like so 15 good.
1: minutes from town. He was like, come on. Thoreau's right. a fucking well, fraud. Well, now it's decided. Walton's our next book, guys. What? Hold on. Now, what what are you supposed to read at 40, writer? Let's see here. Uh, He's supposed see. to read The
2: Diving Bell and the Butterfly for maximum depression.
1: Oh, my God. Yes. I'm supposed not to read...
0: me. I, I didn't really love that movie. So,
2: uh. <laughs> I'm supposed to read Life The Joy Love Bleeding. Club, which I've already read three times and I love. Happy to read it Oh, that it
1: is again. a good book. I read that when I was really young. I should read that again. I'm going to go back a year and read The Sports
0: Writer, uh, because it sounds like that's the the male version of what Alice forgot Midlife Crisis. No,
1: no, it's completely different. (laughs) You don't need to read it. (laughs) Really? I thought it was one of your favorite books, It is, but I feel like it's just going to plunge you into depression. Oh, I mean, uh,
0: you're concerned about my mental health. Yeah, that's so I am. Sweet.
1: There's a dead kid in it. There's a, a dying. Oh, shit! Marriage. Okay, yep. There's a, there's no, a, thanks. I'll, there's I'll stick the, to the
0: Richard Ford short stories. I yeah, can, there's. Yeah.
1: It, it starts off uh, the opening line is My name is Frank Bascom. I'm a sports writer. I live here at 19 Hoving Road in a house I bought when a collection of short stories was optioned for a movie that was never made. And I was, I'm like, well, right. that's a well little close oh. to home. <laughs> Well,
2: Todd, in two years, I guess you're gonna read Fifty Shades of Grey and be like, "Wow, this is right for me."
1: Yeah, I looking...
2: that's on there. Why? Yeah, for age
1: 50, Why? spice things Weird. up. Yeah. Uh. Well, we own it. I think Wendy read it. Um, what? What do? So let's see. I'm supposed to. I'm a man, so I should live to at least 80, right? 78, 80. Is that? What do Somewhere I read on there? What do I read on, on my on. last days? Let's see here. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Like, I'm gonna be laying in bed reading this book and be like. I can die now. Um, okay, 70, 77, you should read Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. It gets you in, in touch with God before you meet him. 78, you should read Charlotte's Web. Hmm.
0: Go back wow. to childhood.
1: You'll live a little longer, Ryder, because you're healthy and you have good good genes. Um, so you'll go to like 88, I guess. Let's see here. Let's see what you should read when you're. I idiot. like the
0: 87 is King Lear. Oh yes. Is, that's a pretty good one. Yeah, like, I, I, I do want like you the to idea to be
1: in bed reading King Lear and shuddering in you death.
0: You know what's <laughs> interesting? I had a teacher when I was a teenager. I had a, a teacher who was who was teaching me Macbeth, and um, and he said, uh, you know, there are still four. He said there are still about four or five Shakespeare plays that I haven't read yet because I want to save some. So I can keep reading throughout my life. I always have new Shakespeare. And that stuck with me. There's still Shakespeare plays I haven't mm. read that I'm like waiting. And um, I felt the same way about um, Toni Morrison, uh, you know, when oh, she died yeah. last week, which was so devastating. I was actually, I, I was, I, it made me happy to think, oh, I still have like four of her books to read. Right. You know, there's yeah. still, even though I, f- I feel like I've read everything, it was like, oh, no, no. And I kind of, I, at first, my first impulse was like, rush out and read them. I was like, no. Like let's let's always have a Toni Morrison book to look forward to, like in the next right. decade. Um, and I think that you know, so it's interesting. Like now, I feel, especially after confronting this list, like there's a, there's a reason to like save some things and 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 others that you should rush out and read right now based on how old you are. Like it's kind of a cool way to think about reading and and to planning your reading life, um, as opposed to just you know chasing the trends of whatever everybody else is reading at the moment.
1: Well, I I imagine Julia will live very long because the pastels are old stock, right? Like, wasn't your grandmother like 200 years old when she died?
2: My grandmother's still alive. She's 96. My grandfather died two years ago. I forget how old he was. But yeah, 90s, late
1: 90s. So, okay, so Julia, when you're 94 years old and you're okay, a, you're you're fucking pissed off cuz when you're 94 you're going to like it's going to be this with more rage. Okay. This chair rocks, a manifesto against ageism by Ashton Applewhite. <laughs> oh, I like that.
0: <laughs> Great. I
1: see you reading that and when you're on the uh, your your new podcast Literary Big Band. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Literary Disco is produced and edited by Justin
0: Alvarez for Lithub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody. Thanks for listening.